So I want to share with you our, our pericope today, our text, and it starts with chapter five of, of Genesis. Zer Sefer Toldos Odom. It's almost like a new Genesis, right? We started with Genesis 1, which was the physical creation of the world. Genesis 2, which is the creation of man in the sense of Soloveitchik's Adam 2. And then the Yom Bara Elohim, Eretz Shoshayim chapter 3. And now there's another, Zer Sefer told us Adam. What's Zer? What is Zer Sefer told us? What is this? If I translate it literally, it would be this is the Sefer, the scroll, told us Adam of the generations of man. But if I look to the really good translators like Robert Alter, he says this is the book of the lineage of man. The lineage, told us, the lineage of man. Nothing reveals the difference of the biblical conception of literature from later Western literature more strikingly than the Bible's use of genealogy lists. Lists. They are an intrinsic element of literary structure. This one begat this one. This one begat this one. Toldot. They're carefully placed compositional units that mark off one large narrative segment from another. Here, obviously, this genealogy list will separate the whole story of creation and the antediluvian founding figures from the deluge story of the Mabul. Okay, so repetition of formula dominates the genealogy list stylistically. This one began this one, and this one began this one. So I love the way Alter does it, and then... The JPS translation says, this is the record of Adam's line. <laughs> Zer toldos Adam, not mankind, but Adam himself. This is his genealogy. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So it's actually the family of Adam, not mankind, but Adam. And it's parallel to the list in, in chapter four. Cain, Kenan, Enoch. Irad, Jared, Mechalalel, Methusael, Methuselah, Lamech. These lists, this is parallel to that. Very nice. Now we're going to dig deeper into the semantic nature, and we're going to parse what this means. Zer, Sefer, Toldos, Odom. Let's look at the Ramban down below. Now we're going medieval already. Rashi says, Yesh Midrashim Harbeh. That's it. <laughs> He points you in the direction. He doesn't quote any. Interesting. Yesh Midrashim Harbe. There are many Midrashim. Now, Ramban says, Zer Sefer, can you see with me? Toldos Odom. Habanim Parasha. We're now going to account for the genealogy of Adam, Odom, not mankind, Adam, and his children that will be mentioned in the parasha. His children that would be mentioned in the parasha. The account referred to in our verse is the listing of Adam's descendants and their lifespans recorded in chapter five. So the word safer here doesn't mean a book. It just means an accounting, as in sapar, lispor, to count. Not a safer. This is the book of. This is the accounting of Adam's children. We're going to come back to this. It's going to be critical to our interpretation. 
Ulafidati and the Ramban says, and according to my opinion, my understanding, Yirmos Lechalatora. Oh, suddenly this little genealogical family tree now becomes a paradigm for the rest of the Torah. Because the entire Torah, Kikola Torah Kula Sefer told us Adam. Look, the entire Torah is an account of the descendants of Adam, meaning now he takes it from the family tree to mankind. So Adam now for the Ramban goes from Adam, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, to, oh, an account and a history of mankind, because, of course, all mankind is descended from Adam. And so that way, like the Sforno, the Sefer could refer to the usual sense of the book. It is the book of mankind, because we are all descendants from Adam. That's the Rambam. And now I would like to dive in to our Daigle. There are 20 homilies and safe abracious by the Daigle. And this is one of the latter ones, which we haven't looked at. But I want to start with a quote, <laughs> because we're talking about the safer, the safer of mankind. Now, a safer has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the end of every generation is the end. So if I can quote from Carlos Castaneda, Journey to Ixtlan. I don't know if any of you read Castaneda, but he says the following. And as we get older, I'm sure most of you can identify with his comments. He writes, death is our eternal companion. <laughs> it is always to our left at an arm's length. It has always been watching you. It always will until the day it traps you. How can anyone feel so important when we know that death is stalking us? The thing to do when you're impatient is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death. An immense amount of pettiness suddenly drops if your death makes a gesture to you or if you catch a glimpse of it, like I have a couple of times on Highway 65. Or if you just have the feeling that your companion is there watching you. Death is the only wise advisor that we have. Whenever you feel, as you always do, that everything is going wrong and you're about to be annihilated, turn to your death and ask if that is so. Your death will tell you that you're wrong, that nothing really matters outside its touch. Your death will tell you, I haven't touched you yet. I just love that quote. And that really informs the way I'm reading the Daigle today. So let's read it with the dark goggle night vision. Let's begin with what I have originally said before in Pasha Shmini. We're told where they bring the Sa'ir HaChatos to Moshe. It's all about the Karbonos. And in the middle of Pasha Shmini, and the Dagel takes us from Zeh Sefer, told us Adam, and he brings us right down in true Midrashic style to some completely out of left field Pasha Shmini Karbonos, that Sa'ir HaChatos Darosh Darash Moshe. And we've talked about this before this concept of Darosh Darash Moshe, 
And what does it say in between? Can you see in Aim La Masora? This isn't in the scroll of the Bible that you're reading in Shul, but we're we're told this. This comes from Masecha Sofrim. Darosh Darash Moshe Chatsi HaTorah Bitevos Darash Mikan Bedorash Mikan. That is that if I count, there are two ways of 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 learning. And this comes from a Gemara in Kedushin. And the Gemara says, Lefikach, Nikru Rishonim Sofrim. Why were the Rishonim called Sofrim? Again, we're coming back to that word, Sefer told us Adam, Sofrim means to count. Why? Shehoyu Sofrim kol ha'osius Sheba Torah. They would count all the osius in the Torah, Shehoyu Omrim. For instance, in Vayikra, we get, Chatsi Osir Shel Sefer Torah. So if I count all the letters of the Torah, I'll get to Leviticus 11.42, which means that that moment is the fulcrum, half the letters of the Torah on one side, half on the other. But if I read the words of the Torah, I come to our Pasuk, Darosh Darash Moshe, Chatsin Shel Tevis. That's what the Masorah is writing in that text. Half the words of the Torah. Okay. And then he divides Tehillim into two halves. Very nice. So what the what the Daigal is telling us, he is informing us. I want to tell you something. That if I show you half the words of the Torah, then this is what I will have. I will say, I'll come to this Pasuk in Shmini. He's not interested in the subject matter. He's going to show us about counting. He's going to pun on the word Sefer, told us, Adam, and Lispor to count all the words in the Torah. And he sees that the fault line, the fulcrum of half the Torah is Darosh Darosh Moshe. Very nice. So then the question arises, well, what does he do with this? Let's go back to him. We learned from the Gomorrah and Kedushin that the Sofrim would count the words. The Isabemusoyres, that's the Gomorrah and Kedushin. Darosh, Darosh, Khan, Chatsi, Osir, Sheba, Torah. Lahavin. Now, it's, it's important for us to understand. Ma Zebol Ramez, Shekan, Hein, Minyan, Chatsi, Osir. What it's very nice. It's very cute. What are we really learning out from this in a deeper way in terms of our spiritual roadmap? And what is the Daigle telling us by bringing this Pasha from Shmini to bear on Zeh Sefer told us Adam? He hasn't even translated it. He goes diving straight into that Pasha in Shmini. And now he comes up with his homily, the Yesh Laforish. Now, we know that there are historically, there was a sequence. First, there was Torah Shebaal Bechsav. And then our tradition says that Torah Shebaal and everything that Moshe got on Harsinai presciently, he predicted everything that, and he received on Harsinai, according to our tradition, everything that would be eventually interpreted from that written law. In fact, we're told by the Groh and others that the first Luchos 
the first tablets had in them all Torah Shebechsav and Torah Shebalpeh, the oral law. When they were smashed, we were only left, when it says in Exodus 32, now you go and make a second Luchos, I'm not writing for it, you write it. Then he was only able to write the Torah Shebechsav. And for the rest of time, throughout our exile, we're horribing in Torah, trying to divine what the original Torah Shebechsav that we lost was. And the Gros says that's a kind of punishment for the Chet of the Egel. And so comes along the Degel and takes this to a mystical level. It's not just there was a Torah Shebechsav and then a Torah Shebechsav. What do we need the Torah Shebechsav for? What is the Torah Shebechsav giving us that the Torah Shebechsav didn't? Remember the Karaites and the Tztukim and the Damascus sect and the early Christian sect did away with Torah Shebechsav. They had their own interpretation. The Dead Sea community had their own interpretation. Pesha This is a Pharisaic late notion, first century, of the Mishnah. That's the Torah Shabbat that we then distilled into writing, even though we weren't allowed to write it. Rabbi Yehuda Nossi took it, the license to write it. And from there came the Gemara and everything else. He doesn't look at it that way. He looks at it in a mystical way. So these are concepts mystical concepts. Torah Shebichsav, Torah Shebalpeh, HaKol Echod. How could they be HaKol Echod? One is divine, and one is the human struggle to interpret the divine. Ve'ein Echod Nifrad Mechavero Klav. One cannot be separated from the other. Now, we, the Gomorrah Sanhedrin in 91 has this whole argument between Antoninus and Rabbi Akiva and Alexander Macedon, Alexander the Great, supposedly with the rabbis, about the difference between Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat And the rabbis are answering why he's saying, why is there no Trias Amesim in the Torah? And why is there no res- resurrection in the Torah? There's no mention of the Olam Haba. And the rabbis are kvetching to answer him that there are hints in it. I mean, there's this whole diatribe going back and forth between the Sabay de Beatuna, the wise men of Athens, everyone who's cheppering. The Chachamim reveals the fault line between Torah Shebechsav and Torah Shevalpeh and how we struggle to show that the two are unified. It's a polemic that's going on all the way down to the Karaites in the 700s. But here, Ein Echad Nifad there is no separation. So we're not talking literally. We're not talking archaeologically. We're not talking scholarly. We're not even talking historically. We're talking mythically that in our mythology of our divine perception of our religion, there is no separation between Torah Shabbat Peh, the Torah Shabbat they are all one. Ki efshar zeh below zeh. You can't have one with the other. Why? Dehainu ha Torah Shabbat mitgaleh tsfunoteha alidei Torah Shabbat Now this comes straight out of the Zohar. The Zohar talks about the Torah Shabbat Peh as this maiden who's locked in this Spanish castle and, and the white knight on a horse is passing and guarding her. You know, this courtly romance business. She was a lady in waiting and there was this platonic relationship with the knight on shining armor on the white horse. And because the windows, just like in Castilla in 
these were medieval castles, so the windows were shaped like a V to prevent arrows coming in, but going out. They would glance at each other maybe once or twice a day, and she would glance at him, and he would glance at her, and she gets to know him through that glance and reveals her mysteries. Kach he derech Torah. And the Zohar says that's the way of the Torah. It reveals itself and its mysteries to those who cherish it, who guard it, who wait patiently like that night. And that's what it's, he's talking about here. That also has erotic overtones. She reveals that which is hidden and covered. Torah Shebaal Peh is the key that unlocks her mysteries. The Torah Shebechsav below Torah Shebaal Peh, Eino Torah Shlema. It is not an integrated Torah. Shlemus. It needs both. Behu Rat Kamo Chatsi Sefer. Ah. Remember we had Chatsi Sefer when we were talking about Pasha Shemini, Darosh, Darosh, Masha. Between those two words, identical words, Darosh, Darosh, comes this space between them, which is the fulcrum in that space. He is hinting, as a way I'm reading it, in that space where the Sofrim are counting. And remember, the original rabbis were called, the Rishonim were called Sofrim. They counted. Here, the Degel is saying, in that space comes the Torah Shebaal Peh. In that fulcrum between the two halves of Torah Shebaal in that fault line, if I can call it that, that place, that space between the two halves, in comes at that Chatsi HaSefer point, in sneaks in Torah Shebaal Peh. Chazal Torah. And those are the Rishonim that come and count the Torah. They count the letters of the Torah. They count the words of the Torah. And they interpret the Torah. The Gilu Devorim Hastumim. And they now reveal through Torah Shabal Peh things that are completely contradictory. It says in Exodus in 19, Shomer is Yom HaShabbos in the Decalogue. And in Devorim, Pashas Veschan, it says Zohar is Yom HaShabbos. Well, if they were both said at the same time at Har Sinai, is God saying Shomo? Is he saying Zohar? Comes along Torah Shabal Peh and says Shomo with Kiddush, Zohreo Alayain, all the, all the multiple interpretations of the Stumot, when things don't jive, when they contradict each other. And he gives us an example. Malchus, Shekosu it says in Deuteronomy 25, when a person gets whacked, he gets stripes, he gets lashes, arboim, he gets 40, and comes along the Rabbonon in Bacchus 22. These fools that they take, obviously talking about the Tzedukim and, and the Sadducees and the Karaites, how foolish are they that they, they, they take the Bible literally? This is the problem between the Protestants and the Catholics, right? Luther caused the revolution by saying, let's go back to the literal interpretation of the Bible. In Catholic school, you never learn the Bible. You learn canon law. And we don't start children with braces. We start children with Vayikra. 
There's reasons behind this pedagogically, because we want to start the children where Torah Shabal Peh is critical to understanding. Otherwise, they're going to take everything literally, which is the biggest sin. Why? What did they say? Meaning, in the Gemara, Maka says, We only give 39 Malkus, and they bring Psukim and the Drushim. Who gave them the license and the authority to do that? Ah, that's the Koach of Torah Shabal Peh. Nimtza, and he's bringing, I brought you an example about Zohar Vashoma, which is a, a, a semantic example of a contradiction. They're bringing a, a, a literal, legal difference between what the Torah says, whack him 40 times, and the Gemara says, no, 39 times, makes a difference, and we follow the, the Torah Shabal Peh, Nimtza. Now he, he, he privileges and says the shleimus of Torah Shibirsab is dependent on Torah Shibir That's a quote from Sanhedrin, very important Gemara, 99. This comes straight from what we were talking about, the arguments between the rabbis and Alexander Macedon and Antoninus. And so from what we learn from those stories, the Gemara in Sanhedrin adds, it is taught in another Bryce's, because he despised the word of the Lord. What does that mean? This is a reference. Number one, someone who says Torah isn't from the divine. And then they extend it as follows. Now, we were talking on the last day of Sukkot about who wrote the last eight Sukkim of the Torah. And no one knows where Moshe is buried and he and Moses died. Do you think it's Moshe wrote it? And so some people say, oh, no, Joshua wrote it. And then comes along Rabbi Meir said, is it possible that Moshe didn't write every word of the Torah? If there's one missing, then it's not Torah's Moshe. So Moshe must have written it. But how did he write it? Oh, so Rabbi Meir says he wrote it bedema, with tears. So I wanted to suggest that those tears are translucent. Moshe is writing what God's telling him. It's, he's in a trance, and now he reads the text. It's blacking, 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 and the last eight psukim, he can't read. It's transparent ink. And only later Joshua fills it in. The Gras says that he gave him a word jumble. He did write it, but it was all mixed up letters, so he couldn't make head, head or tails of it. In either way, we, not one oish could be missed. So comes along the Gemara, kola Torah kula, minashemayim. Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything's minashemayim. But you know what? Except this posser. Shalom Omra Kodesh Baruch Hu, Elamosha Piyatim. That God didn't say, Mo, that came from Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, Kidva Hashem Bozah, because he despised the word of God, meaning, Devar Hashem, even this Davar, this one Pasuk, he's an Apikoros. V'afilu Oma Kolatoru Kulomina Shemaim Chutzbi Diktukseh. And if you say that even the entire Torah rigid from except from this Diktuk, this inference that the rabbis learnt 39, not 40, or this kalvachoymazer, 
or this Gzeira Shava, one of the 13 meters should the Torah is Rishas, he's Bizeb Hashem and he's considered a Dapi Chorus. That is what the Degel is, is pointing us to at this moment in time. That's what it means. Oh, Shecholek al Chazal. That's the Chazal he's referring to in Sanhedrin. Ki'ilu Kofa Baturus Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Not because of a doctrinal reason. We believe in Torah Mina Shamayim. This isn't art scroll. What he's saying is that everything is talui in the Drush of Chazal. That Torah Shebir Sav is dependent on Torah Shebalpeh, not the other way around. What is he doing by saying this? Hein Ikashlemus Torah Shebir Sav. I think we have to discuss what the word shlemus means. He knows very well that we have a history and we have the written law, we have the oral law, and we, we value the written law. If you drop the written law, you have to fast Mondays and Thursdays. I remember as a child, someone dropped the Sefer Torah in Shul. Oh my God, it was crazy, crazy. We went bananas. You drop a chumash, you pick it up. You drop a gemara, you pick it up and kiss it and put it back on the shtender. But a Sefer Torah, you draw, I mean, everyone knows the halachas of Sefer Torah. He cannot be meaning that literally. He has to be meaning it mythically. So what's he trying to tell us? Now he comes back to the Pasuk and Shemini. Darosh, Darash. What does it mean, Darosh, Darash? Heim chatsi osius That's half the counting of all the letters in the Torah. Hainu. Now, just listen to how dazzling he is. Hainu, what he's saying is, until Chazal counted the words of Torah and found that the fault line was in Dorash, Dorash Moshe, so he's punning on the word Dorash, Dorash Moshe. It's so brilliant. It's hyper-literal. It's taking semantics to a mythical end. Darosh, Darash, Moshe now doesn't just mean, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu was being doyresh, bringing the Sor Chatos, and the Torah Shabbat teaches us the two halachas that we learn from being Soimech on the, the Gemara in Svachim tells us what two halachas Moshe was teaching the Kohanim on that day. No, 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 no. Darosh, Darash, and the space between the Darosh, Darash is teaching us in a hyper-literal way that Moshe is teaching us that the Ika Shlemus of the Torah is between that Darosh space, Darash. And in that space is the entire Torah, Shabal Per. It's dazzling. Eino Nikra Torah Shlema, the very fault line the space between the two halves of Torah, that it's the fault line that the Torah can collapse on itself if it was on a fulcrum, is the very empty space by which the Torah is made whole through human interpretation of it. It became then a Sefer Sholem, Shlemus, because of that Drush. And then he adds, V'chein kol dor vador. Now he proves that he is not talking about some kind of hypothetical Torah Shavalpeh, 
you've got it in Shas and Poskim and Zoya, and that's your Torah Shabal pair. He says it's an ongoing revelation. Now, Reb Tzodik talks about this in Sitzka Satsadik a lot, that everybody, every generation, every Yid, through his struggle and interpretation, adds to that Torah Shlema. We continue perfecting the Torah through our Doroshav, through our struggles with the text and our adding to it. We say in in uh, in the benching, Uvene Yerushalayim Akodesh Bimheri Biomeinu. Uvene Yerushalayim. I've said this before. The Sfasemis said it should have said Bono Yerushalayim. We're saying the four brachas in Birchas Amazon. One is on the Oritz. One is by Joshua. One is Bono Yerushalayim. One is for the Haruge Beitar. So what's Bone? Bone is in the intransitive tense. Uvene Yerushalayim as we build Jerusalem comes along the Sfasemes and says, yeah, every generation is contributing another brick in the Bayesh Shlishi. How? By our struggles in Torah. Our struggle contributes a brick in that third base of Mikdosh. Ki Torah nidoreshes b'chol dor v'dor. And now why? Why? Why can't we just have that perfect Torah shlema of Torah Shibitzav, Torah Shibapet? What's this ongoing business? comes along the Dago and says, Ki Torah nidoreshes b'chol dor v'dor, l'fi ma shetzorech dor. Every generation has its own needs, its own struggles, its own exile, its own theological crisis. We are in a post-Holocaust crisis. And we have to wake up and understand what just happened 70 years ago. Our Torah isn't giving us the answers. We have to discover in the text a new Torah Hadosha, a Torah Shenidoreshes Bechol Dorvadar, Lefi Mashet Sorech Hador, what Leosa Hador, Ulefi Shoresh Nishmoson Shet Oisa Hador, every Generation has souls that come out from Adam Harishon. Ulufi Shoresh Nishmosan. Kach Hashem is Borach Meir Eine Chachme Ador Betoirosak Dosha. So, through, we've talked about this mystical notion that we have an Ois in Torah and that Ois in, lights up for us. That's what he says. Meir Eine Chachme Ador. The Abishto lights up the eyes. Remember, the, the eyes, the light comes out of the eye. We see in Torah stuff that we never saw before because we have a new enlightenment from the Abishtha for our particular generation. Every generation gets its own light and therefore it can see in Torah a new drush, which is the Torah Shah Torah Nidoreshes, which is mashl in the Torah. It makes the Torah more perfect. Now come back to the, the first posuk. Zeh Sefer told us Adam. You come back to that posuk now, you can never read it the way you did. Zeh Sefer told us Adam. Let's reread it according to the Dago. Zeh Sefer. This is not the genealogy. Zeh Sefer. This Torah, this Sefer Torah. Toldos Adam, 
is dependent on the toldos of the Odom, meaning toldos, not genealogy, but holodos. It is the invention. It is the reinvention. It is the reinterpretation of Adam. This Torah is completed when Adam, mankind in every generation, is toilado, reinvents itself, re-sees its vision in Torah anew. Because when God created Man, bitmus elokim ososo. He created in him that spark of renewal and that spark of reinvention. I think it's a dazzling Torah. It takes it out of the literary. It takes it into the Midrashic. He's taken us on a journey through the middle of the Torah. He takes us from Bracious, Sefer told us Adam, to the fourth line of Dorosh Dorosh, where the space between the two drush gives us the license to be Dorosh Torosh of Alper, and then brings it into our generation by saying, we have the responsibility to read this Torah anew every year, every bracious, every new year, so that we can find meaning by the Abishta enlightening our eyes to give us new insights into Torah, to keep it shalem, meaning keep it relevant, keep it open to us uh, as our tradition. Have a wonderful new year. Have a wonderful bracious. May we all be zoicha to these insights. God bless.